Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. How has your week been? It's been blessed? All right. Well, praise the Lord that he's brought us here once again. And uh, today we're going to be ending our series. How many of you have been blessed by the series? Praise the Lord. All right. So we're ending off this series on reformatory movements of destiny. And our next series that we're going to be starting, and please don't miss that either, and bring your friends, bring those um, among your family members. As one person says it, even bring your enemies. Everyone bring them because we're going to start a series on the love of God. And we're going to truly focus on that. Today's message is going to be very intense, but um, that's why I wanted to follow it up with saying that. We're going to be studying God's love and going, if there is, let me, let me say it this way, if there is any message that is really intense, it is the love of God. When we truly understand what it really is and how much God is willing to go through, as one author says it, on this expensive errand to save us, our minds will be blown away. And so as we go into that, um, keep your hearts in prayer Um, And uh, today, keep your minds as well in prayer as we end off this series. So if you would join me in having a word of prayer as we commence. Father in heaven, illuminate our minds, strengthen our hearts. And we thank you so much for your goodness toward us. Lord, in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. But connected to Jesus we can do all that you have called us to do. With his power flowing in our spiritual lives, we can truly stand as vessels unto honor. I pray, O God, that you may hide me as was mentioned. May I decrease and may Jesus increase. May his glory and character be seen. And I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. Hold them not to my account. I ask these things not for my sake, but for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name, let all of God's people say, amen, amen. All right. So as we go into this last section here, we're going to be talking about reformatory movements of destiny part 10. All right. So we're going to go through a little bit of what we, we've been covering in our main text is Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. Now, as we go into that, we're just gonna do a recap of the sanctuary and what we've been covering. Now, the white section of the sanctuary, does anyone remember what it's called? The courtyard, that's right. So we have the courtyard, and as we look at the courtyard, we're realizing there's two articles there. Does anyone remember the name of the articles? Altar of burnt offering and the? labor of washing. All right, now you remember, this represented whose earthly public ministry? Jesus, right? And so we're seeing, we remember that altar of burnt offering reminds us that Jesus was what? Crucified, sacrificed for our sins, right? 
But then, before he was sacrificed, just as the priest had the custom of doing, before he ever received the sacrifice, what would he do? He would wash at the labor of washing, right? And so this represents what in Jesus' life that happened, that's right, before his sacrifice, right? He was baptized three and a half years earlier. So this is a symbol of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, were there any powers that were against his earthly ministry and John's ministry? Who were they? Yes, Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes and the elders. They were against his work and John's work. And so they kept asking John and they kept asking Jesus, by whose authority are you doing what you're doing? In other words, if you haven't received it from us, you can't do it. But they continued doing it. And so therefore, in John's ministry and in Christ's ministry, we see the reformatory movements, the two movements that were united, that protected what the articles pointed forward to, right? All right, so now when Jesus arose from the dead, he went in and out among his disciples, according to Acts chapter 1, for 40 days. And then what did Jesus do? Where did he go according to the Old Testament? The holy place. The Old Testament pattern shows us that he went straight to the holy place as the priest would do after the sacrifice was offered many times. And so he went in to the holy place. And here's a question for you guys. You guys know it. Jesus was there from AD 31 all the way to what time? 1844. And question for you, how long is that when you do the math? From AD 31 all the way to 1844. 18, years. 1813 years, Jesus was in the holy place. And what was he doing there? He was upholding the articles, right? Now you remember the LS, LS on the screen, what does that stand for? The lampstand. That is a symbol of a life of what? Of light, which is the righteousness of Christ in evangelism, right? Going forth, witnessing to others. But you remember, what we're giving them is something we have first received. And where did we receive it? What article represents where we received it? The table of showbread, right? Which is a representation of the word of God. All right? Now, Along with that, we have another article, AI, which represents altar of incense. And that symbolizes what in our spiritual lives? Prayer. So God is not just expecting to speak to us, the word, the table of showbread, but he's calling us to talk to him. And so the relationship grows in the context of a dialogue between God and man. God and man communicating with each other. And as they communicate more and more, the more clearly man is able to understand the will of God because he's spending time with him. And as I mentioned, all three must be there because you have men and women who are serious about lampstand ministry. They're going out, they're reaching out to a lot of people, they're missionaries, but they don't know the word. And then on the other hand, you have people who are scholars. They're serious Bible students. They know the prophecies, but they're not doing evangelism. Or you have people who may do both, but they hardly spend time with God in prayer. 
right? So God is saying all three of these must, are integral, are important to the growth, to the sustaining and growth of the Christian life. We must daily be with God in prayer, daily spend time with, in his word, daily spend time seeking to be an influence in the area or the sphere of influence where we are, among family members, friends, and as I mentioned before, even enemies, right? Now, you remember who attacked these articles, and we say it respectfully, who attacked these articles during the time of Jesus in the holy place? Well, yes, it was the, the pharisaical spirit, but manifested in which movement? Time, times and a half a time, the papal system, right? And we say that respectfully because God, does God have his people in that system? Yes. He has his faithful in every religion, in every church, all over the world. But what God is addressing is systems of deception. And so this system attacked the articles in that they kept the word of God from the people. And not only that, if a person not only had the word of God, but went out to witness concerning that word, what could happen to them? Persecution and they could be killed. And then that power also told men that you cannot come directly to God. You must come through a priest, right? So the Reformation was the movement that God raised up, the reformatory movement of destiny that God raised up at that time to protect the articles to call men back to God directly, to call men back to the realization that there is one mediator between God and men. And who is that? Jesus Christ. To call men back to the word of God, translating the table of showbread into the common tongue so that all men could have it and could interpret it as God was leading them. And then he then said to them, all right, it is not enough for you to have that word. You must go forth and give it unto the people. And this is what led to many being persecuted. So the Reformation was the movement that God raised up to protect the articles. Now, as we now go, went into the last compartment last week, which was the most holy place, you remember that line dividing the holy from the most holy, what year does it represent? 1844. So Jesus Christ transitioned into his final phase of ministry on behalf of mankind. And in there, we saw that who is the movement or the movements that would rise up against the major article, not the only, but the main article in the most holy place. Does anyone remember who it was? Okay, so the papal system again, and who else along with them? What's that? Okay, Satan, this is true, but there's another movement that would rise up with them. We saw in Revelation chapter 17, the papal system is called the mother of harlots. Who are the harlots? Other Protestant churches that have become unfaithful to Bible doctrine. All right, And not only did we saw that, we saw that their unfaithfulness is primarily, yes, in certain areas, but primarily on one of God's commandments. That's what the fourth commandment, right? So we're going to go into that a little bit today. So the law of God has been attacked. 
not only during the dark ages, but it will be attacked at the end of time. And so as we're looking at this, we're gonna see how that law is being attacked. And you're gonna, I'm gonna show you two statements at the end that really helped me to make my decision as it concerns whether or not I was gonna be a part of this movement or not that we're gonna find out that protects the article of the law of God, all right? So does this all make sense? All right, praise the Lord. So now as we go into this, you remember, how many of you remember in Bible prophecy, what does a day represent? A year, right? And the way that we understood that is according to Numbers 14.34 and Ezekiel chapter four and verse six. These two scriptures help us to realize that, whoa, in Bible prophecy specifically, a day represents a year. So as I always mention, if I said I stood at that door back there for two prophetic days, how long did I stand there really? Two years, right? If I said I stood there 10 days, how long did I stand there? 10 years, because a day in Bible prophecy represents a year. Of course, I would never stand that long there, but it's, it's for the illustration's sake, all right? Now, as we look at that, what we're going to see as we find out who this reformatory movement was that would rise up to protect the article, we see who's rising up to attack it in the last days, but we're going to see which movement would rise up to protect it. So that's the whole purpose of this message. And so as we look at this, we're going to look at Bible prophecy and we're going to go throughout the timeline of Bible prophecy from a certain point up to the present. So you remember, as we go back to the dark ages, during the time that Jesus was in the holy place, there are two scriptures that we have to keep in mind. And I'm going to ask you a question after we read this. It says in Revelation 12 and verse 6, it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there. So who prepared this place for this woman? God, and we found out, as you mentioned before, what does a woman represent in Bible prophecy? A church, right? So it says that they should feed her there 1,203 score, that's 60. So 1,260 days, which is, if this is a prophecy, how many, day, how, many how long is, yes, is 1,260 years. Now, speaking of the same church, it says in verse 14 of the same chapter, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly where? Oh, same thing, right? Into her place where she is nourished for how long? Right, from the face of the serpent. So you remember, three and a half years. Does anyone know how many days are in three and a half years? <laughs> That's right, 1,260 days. So we're really talking about the same amount of time. Okay, so this is in reference to the dark ages when the papal system had dominance over the then known world. All right, so we're referring to that. Now I want you to look at this. So the church of God, question for you, why was the church of God hiding in the wilderness? They were being persecuted. You know, it's very interesting as you go back and you look at the history during that time, this was a literal truth. 
The Christians, many times those who are seeking to stand firm according to God's word and live according to that word, they had to hide in the mountains. They had to be, they were protected by God in the mountains. They studied the Bible, translated the Bible, made certain copies of the Bible in that secluded place of the mountains where it was hard for them to be found, hard for them to be persecuted. But friends, they were so faithful to the word of God that we are told one of the groups that were persecuted a lot was called the Waldensians. And what they would do is they would be in the mountains, they would translate God's word and they would make little copies of the word of God and they would take it and they would make a certain kind of garment for themselves, a certain kind of jacket per se, and they would make a certain pocket for the piece of scripture that they translated. And this is what they would do, friends. They were in the mountains, they were safe, but they said, God loves humanity. And I am not going to just stay here and do nothing. So they would be there, that would be their home. But from time to time, what they would do is they would come away from the mountain into the very cities and populated areas and they would come into the market and they would sell in the market. And as they looked at the people and they heard what they said, they would read the person as clearly as they could and they would see if this person was interested in spiritual things or not. And if they were interested, they would take them aside, take out from their pocket that copy of scripture and they would begin breaking down the word of God to them. Friends, that was at the risk of them losing their lives. But they said, we cannot only protect ourselves. We have to communicate the word of God to others. But their retreat, their reprieve was the mountains. And so there were many other groups like this that would do that. Now, go with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 12, all right? So we're seeing here Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to go through this and see some very interesting stuff that's going to bring us to the climax of our message. So Revelation chapter 12, and you let me know when you're there by saying amen. All right, Revelation chapter 12. Okay, so we're seeing, as we saw before, the reason that they were hiding out for this amount of time was because the reason that the woman fled into the wilderness was because of the 1,260 years of persecution. She was hiding out that the gospel might be maintained. One author says, if this was not done, Satan's persecution methods were so powerful that it could have potentially wiped out the truth. But God would not allow his truth to die, right? So he caused his people to be protected in the wilderness. So for that time period, that's why they were hiding out. Now, as we look at this, I want us to look at something here. So that was verse 14 we just read. And I want you to look at this in verse 15 now. So we're in the time of the dark ages. But from verse 15 onward, we're going beyond the dark ages. It says, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by what? By the flood, right? Now you remember, in the Bible, figuratively, what does water represent? peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. That's Revelation 17, verse 15. So it's literally that the serpent, who is the devil, 
cast out of his mouth a flood of people, that is persecution, coming from these people after his people. So after God's people. So the enemy was persecuting God's people through other people that he might cause her to be what? Wiped out, washed away by the flood. But here's what happened. Don't miss this. In verse 16, it states there, and the earth helped the woman. Amen? And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Now you remember geographically, where was this time, time and half a time taking place geographically? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You guys got it, right? So it was taking place in Europe. This is where this was happening. But something takes place in verse 16 in which we're going to see here, prophecy goes further west. All right? What we're going to see, friends, is this powerful principle of Scripture. And that is that prophecy follows God's people. Prophecy follows the people of God wherever they are. Some people wonder, okay, why aren't other nations mentioned in the Bible? Why aren't other nations that I think are important mentioned in Scripture? The reason is, the reason that Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, and Papal Rome are mentioned is because these nations directly impacted the people of God. Right? Same thing with the Philistines, same thing with the Egyptians. They directly impacted the saints. And so as we look at this now, verse 16 tells us there's a transition as we're going to see. Verse 16 says the earth did what for the woman? All right, help the woman. All right, so now as we look at this, skip over with me in your Bibles now to Revelation 13, 11. All right, now you remember we talked about who the first beast of Revelation 13 was. We said this was none other than the papal system. But there's another nation slash kingdom or territory that arises after the first beast. And we're going to see who this is here. And this brings us to our next question, all right? The next question is, which nation was predicted to arise around the time the papacy was receiving its deadly wound? Because you remember, papacy ruled for how many years in power and supremacy? 12,000, well, 1,260 years. But at the end of the 1,260 years, there was a wound that came against the papal system to end its dominance. And that was that France, the most ardent supporter of the papal system, turned on it. And so as it attacked it, civil power was taken from the papal system. And this in scripture is called in Revelation 13, 3, the deadly wound. Now, once this happened, another nation, beast, was rising at the same time that the papacy's power was waning. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11, and I beheld another beast. That is other than who? The first beast, right? I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Coming up out of where? Wait, but who helped the woman? The earth. Where is this nation rising up out of? The earth. So now we just got to uncover who this is. It says, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a what? 
a lamb, and he spake as? We know who the dragon is. Who's that? The devil. So whoever this nation is, there's a point at which it speaks like the devil. But outwardly, what does it look like? Yes, it has two horns like a lamb. Now, horns in the Bible represents powers. It represents civil powers. Okay, you can find that in Daniel chapter 8. You had a ram with two horns, and the two horns represented the two aspects and powers that ruled over Medo-Persia. Right? So horns in scripture represents governing power. So there's two governing principles that governs whoever this nation is. But friends, in the way that it operates, it's like what animal? A lamb. Who's the lamb of Revelation? Jesus Christ. So it's a nation that would then claim in its operations to be what kind of religious nation? Christian. Christian in the way that it operates. So friends, it would rise, a nation would rise after, while the papacy's power is waning. That means after or around 1798, it would be rising. Not only that, it would appear to be a Christian nation it would have two governing powers to guide it. But at a certain point, it'll speak like a dragon. Now you remember, Jesus says, from which organ of the body does the heart speak? But this is spiritually, right? Okay, so it speaks through the mouth, but then the mouth, what comes forth from the mouth reveals what's in what organ? The heart, right? Now, the heart is really not the heart. The heart is the heart. That makes sense? All right, okay. So out of, the, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So that means if this nation speaks as a dragon, what kind of heart does it have? A dragon heart. So what we're seeing here, now once we uncover who this is, friends, you guys probably know who it is already. <laughs> you probably know who it is already. Only one nation fits this description. And this nation, by the way, is a worldwide power as you continue reading Revelation 11 all the way to the end. You find out it has worldwide power and influence. Friends, there's only one nation rising up around the time and just before 1798, having two governing powers to guide it that claims to be like Jesus Christ, but at the same time will at some point speak like a dragon. And by the way, a nation speaks through its laws. Friends, there's only one nation that this fits. 1798, papacy received its deadly wound. 1776, 22 years earlier, what was written? The Declaration of Independence in this nation. 1787, America voted its constitution. 1791, adopted the Bill of Rights. 1798, was already recognized as a world power. Friends, the nation that we're speaking about here is the United States of America. How many of you would have ever wondered that prophecy speaks about the United States? It speaks about it directly, friends. So we're realizing that, wow, and I want to say this, 
This nation is a powerful nation. It's a nation that I respect dearly, a nation that has brought so many opportunities to myself and my family. What we're talking about here is not necessarily my respect for the nation. What we're talking about here is what prophecy reveals is going to take place. And so as we look at this, does that make sense? All right, so my, my goal is not to bash the nation. My goal is to show what the prophecy says concerning it. All right, and there's a lot more, but we're not gonna cover that today. Okay, so as we're realizing, okay, so the second beast rises up out of the earth, and we found out it's speaking about this nation. So we're realizing then the earth, before we even get to the beast, the earth is who then? The United States. So what Revelation chapter 12 and verse 16 is pointing out when it says the earth helped the woman, it's literally telling us that there was a migration that took place from Europe to here. And friends, that's exactly what history tells us. It tells us that persecution was so bad that our spiritual pilgrim fathers, what did they do? They left from the place where they were and they fled to this nation. The pilgrims, right? Coming on, anybody knows what ship they came on? The Mayflower, that's right. So they came here seeking religious freedom. And as time went on, men like Roger Williams and others rose up and they helped along with the nation's um, civil leaders. They helped to set up a system whereby there were two governing powers over the nation. Does anyone know what those two governing powers were? Was that? Okay, that's one of them. Republicanism is one. So not, republicanism, as I say it again, is not the Republican Party, but republicanism means that the power is where? In the people, right? So republicanism, that's a nation without a king then. And then what else? What other power would guide the nation? Right, laws, that's part of the republicanism aspect. What's that? Freedom of religion, that's true. But freedom of religion can only happen as these two governing powers remain in their proper sphere. That should tell you what it is. If separation of church and state. So when you look at state, we talk about republicanism. But when you look at the aspect of the church, we're talking about religion. So we're talking about republicanism and Protestantism. These were the two governing principles, church and state. And these two things with the constitution set up were meant to remain separate. The nation is only as safe as these two things are as far apart from one another as they can be. The moment the church begins to tell the state what to do, which is what's coming, we're in a bad place, friends. It's going to be dangerous when that happens. So we're realizing then Revelation 12 and verse 16 is telling us that there's a migration from Europe all the way to where? United States. 
So prophecy moves further west. All right, now, if, so I'm gonna ask you this question now. If prophecy moves further west, Revelation 12, 16, then where does Revelation 12, 17 happen then? All right, so I'm gonna think about that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you the question again. So think about it, all right? So what we're seeing here is what is the significance of this nation coming up out of the earth? The previous nation came up out of the sea, peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. What this means is this. We realized through this series that beast equals nations. We saw that at times they rose up from the sea, meaning that they arose in a populated area. However, the beast of Revelation 13, 11 rose up from the earth, which is the exact opposite of the sea. Therefore, rather than rising from a populated area, the sea, it arose from an area scarcely populated, the earth. Not by coincidence, this is exactly what America was prior to the 1700s. History tells us there were over 15 million natives that were here. But in comparison to what was taking place in Europe, friends, 15 million was almost nothing. All right? So as we look at this now, we're realizing, okay, so earth represents a scarcely populated area. So therefore, we're realizing prophecy is taking us further west, the United States of America. So as this happens, so my question comes back to you then. We see Revelation 12 and verse 17, which states, and the dragon, who's the dragon? Was wrought with the woman, that is the church, and went to make war with who? The remnant of her seed. Now, anybody sows here? Anyone sows or, or does knitting? All right. Now, if I say to do something with the remnant of the cloth you're using, or you're thinking about using a certain material, and the material is almost out, but there's a little bit of that material left, what would you call that little bit of material left? The remnant of that material, right? The last remaining piece is what you would call it. So what we're talking about here is the final remaining piece that continues to be the faithful. So here's what we're gonna find out now. It says the remnant of her seed, but look at what this remnant of her seed does. If we're trying to find who they are, who, who is this remnant, this last remaining piece? It says, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we're looking for a group, but where does the group start? Yes. The group starts in the United States. Because you remember in verse 16, what happened to the church? The faithful migrated from Europe further west to the United States of America. So we're looking at a movement that at least in its beginnings would start in the USA. And a movement, and by the way, if we truly if we truly go according to what we're reading here, friends, do you know that if those characteristics weren't there, you, would, you could say, 
God, but, but there, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of churches, right? So God says, no worries. I want you to know where to go. So I'm going to give you two characteristics, among many others, by the way. He says, they keep the commandments of God. Right there, you eliminate hundreds of thousands of churches. Do you know that? Respectfully, I say that. Because I had to make this decision as well. Right there, let's just even take, apart from the civil laws of Scripture, let's just take the Ten Commandments. How many of the Ten Commandments are eternal in nature? All of them. All right? So this is a decision I had to make. I was wondering, okay... Lord, thinking about the church that I was once a part of, I said, yeah, we we keep the commandments of God. And then I began to realize there's one that we don't keep. There's one where we say, hey, all these other commandments are literal and literally to be kept. But that one commandment, I began to realize I was seeing along with the church that I was a part of, this commandment is now spiritual. Friends, all of the commandments are spiritual and literal. They have a spiritual application in that Jesus says, it's not just if, if you commit adultery, you go and you do the act of, of committing adultery that you're guilty. Jesus points out the very heart of the law and he says what? Even if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, in his heart, he has committed adultery. It's not just saying, hey, I'm going to fight and ultimately murder my brother. Jesus says, this is not, that's not the only part of breaking the law. He says, if you are angry with your brother without cause, you have committed murder. So Jesus Christ says, he comes and he magnifies God's law. So as I was looking at this, I realized, whoa, so there's a spiritual application to all of God's commandments and there's a literal keeping that needs to take place. Friends, what I realized upon introspection that there is one commandment that the majority of the Protestant world has left behind. And they've said it. You probably heard this statement before. Jesus is now our Sabbath. How many of you have ever heard that? I once used to say that. So I will be honest with you, all right? I said that at one time until I realized that Jesus himself kept the Sabbath. You have his apostles and the entire, what's that? Kept the Sabbath. The entire early church keeping the Sabbath. And that's when I realized, whoa, 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 whoa. That means I'm looking for a church that keeps not nine, but all 10 of the 10 commandments. Friends, I realized, whoa, this thing is not as hard as I thought it was. Hundreds of churches are then eliminated, hundreds of thousands. And so I said, okay, okay, okay. And they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8 tells us that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the prophetic gift. That means not only will this church keep all of God's commandments, but they would have a prophetic voice in its midst. So you have these two principles and all of a sudden, hundreds of thousands of churches are gone. Friends, there's only one church that arose in the United States 
after 1844 that rose up, therefore, to exalt the law of God. By the way, where is that law in the sanctuary? In the most holy place. So right when we get into the most holy place, God says, I'm going to raise up a major movement to protect the main article in this place because I know it's going to be attacked. I know that while I told the world to remember, they're going to forget. And so I'm going to raise a movement to ever be a voice in the world to remind the people, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Who was that movement? Friends, without going as deep as we would, I would like to, the movement is none other than the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, friends, that took me an entire three months to come to that understanding. It took me wrestling, arguing with my best friend almost every day, arguing with not only him, but his uncle, Every day. But as they showed me the scriptures, and that while all of these sacrificial laws were nailed to the cross, that the laws of the Ten Commandments cannot be nailed to the cross, I began to realize, whoa. You see, there's something about scripture. Once you start seeing something, you can't stop seeing it. And so as I looked at it, I was like, whoa, But here's what finally led me over the edge. Do you know what led me over the edge? Do you guys want to know? Here's what finally led me me over the edge. It was when the very powers that I saw attacking the article give credence to our church. That's when, said I'm sold. You want to see that? Here it is. These are two statements that I would read to you in closing. All right? Now, the power that we saw that attacks the law of God in the end of time is what two powers? Papal system and Protestantism in its apostate form, right? So I'm going to show you two statements from the papal system that clears this all up, all right? So the first statement, this is what it says. The Roman Catholic Church changed the observance of the Sabbath to Sunday by right of the divine infallible authority given to her by her founder, Jesus Christ. Now, is that that scriptural? No, all right? It says the Protestant, now here it is, the Protestant claiming the Bible to be the only guide of faith has no warrant. How many? None. No warrant for observing Sunday. Now, here's where they go over the edge. In this matter, the Seventh-day Adventist is the only consistent Protestant. Whoa. Who's saying that? Yeah. Friends, I'm saying it to you right now, and it's sending chills down my spine. This was written in the Catholic Universe Bulletin, August 14th, 1942, page 4. And then one more statement, it says, perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. Happened when? So this didn't happen with the apostles, right? Happened in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday, the day of the Lord. Deis Dominica, 
was chosen, not from any directions noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. That's heavy. The day of resurrection, the day of Pentecost, 50 days later came on the first day of the week. So this would be the new Sabbath, they assumed. But here it is. Here it is, all right? People who think that the scriptures should be the sole authority should logically become what? Seventh-day Adventists and keep the Sabbath holy. Whoa. That's heavy, friends. When I saw that, that was it for me. I realized, you know what? This is not only in the Bible, but the very end-time power that would speak against God's law is telling me, hey, here are they that keep the commandments of God. They're the ones that are telling me this. And so, friends, if you are hearing this for the first time, as I mentioned, it is not my desire to offend. I am just showing what the Bible has laid out. And I leave it with you to make your choice. God is not one who is, who is a kind of God to leave us in darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That means before he would ever leave a man or woman or child in darkness, he would shed as much light as he can upon them that they might operate in righteousness. And so friends, did this make sense to each and every one of us? Did what we look at throughout this entire series add up? I pray that it made sense to each and every one of us and that we will continue to make it our study. I appreciate every one of you. I appreciate your interaction. I appreciate your devotion to God's word. And I appreciate the times that we could spend here on Sabbath. And so as we end off this series and prepare now for the series covering the love of God, I pray that the sanctuaries, we've looked at the sanctuary, that these things made sense to our hearts and it moved our hearts to want a deeper relationship with Jesus. For all we've been doing in the sanctuary is following Jesus and following from his earthly ministry all the way to his final work in the most holy place. And so friends, with that, if it is your desire to truly stand for the Son of Man in these times, to live according to the principles that he has given us in his word, to remember what he has given to us in the scriptures, then I ask you to bow your heads with me as we close with prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we have covered much this day, but I pray, oh Father, that it made sense and that our hearts were stirred. Lord, we know that in and of ourselves, we cannot do right. But we know that if we come to you, you can strengthen us, strengthen our will to follow you and to live in harmony with your word. And give us the will to be willing to do what you have called us to do. And we thank you for the sanctuary that has laid out clearly that which Jesus is doing and what we should be doing in these last days. Thank you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name, let all of God's people say, Amen. 
please look us up online at the1-80.org, and at, the 180, YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.